When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. I'm Stephen Means. That's Nathan Baird, and that's Andrew Gillis. And this is your Wednesday pod, and we're doing a rapid fire. If you want to ask questions to get on this rapid fire, listen, we usually get great questions from our texters. 614-350-3315 for the two-week free trial, and then $399 after that for news analysis. If you want to just interact with people, interact with us, man. Listen, it's a great time over here. 614-350-3315 if you want to ask questions like this. From Justin in the 614, based off everything going on, post the 72-hour defeat stretch of the Cotton Bowl with Ohio State football, what is everyone on the podcast predictions and expectations of where the Buckeyes end up in the 12-team playoff? The first NCAA change with the playoff football, but Buckeyes pulled it off all the way. Basically, what they're asking is the first last time the the NCAA made a significant change to the way that the postseason was set up. Ohio State won a national championship off of that situation. And then how do we feel about it as we go into another change with college football and the college football playoff going into the 12-team playoff now that we've seen how things have maybe shaped up post how people were feeling after that loss in the Cotton Bowl? Nathan, we'll start with you. I guess maybe almost a way too early predictions about what you think Ohio State will accomplish in 2024. You know, I still stand by Ohio State having been one of the top four teams in the country this past year. I, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, how is their season any different than Washington's except for when they lost to Michigan? <laughs> they, mm-hmm. they didn't get to go have some of the other games that Washington had because it lost to Michigan at the wrong time, um, but lost even more competitively to Michigan. You know what I mean? Like, this was already mm-hmm. one of the top four teams in the country kind of at worst when it was at full strength for uh, at the end of last season. And they bring everybody back on defense. You lose Marvin Harrison. You may have upgraded the offense in other ways, though. So I think it's much more likely that this is a top four seed, if not the number one overall seed at the end of next year's regular season, than Ohio State like not making the playoff, right? So mm-hmm. I, right now, that's kind of my assumption. I don't know who has a better returning roster than this in the Big Ten for sure. I don't know if I don't even know who like number two is. Like it's there might be a gap based on what's coming together for Ohio State right now. And then on top of that, 
I don't really know who has a better returning roster in the country. So I, right now, my expectations are pretty high. My expectations hadn't really cratered even after last year because I thought they would bring enough people back on defense that there was really not a, a, a danger of, of this just kind of falling out from under them. But to bring back like everybody but my call and, and to yes, you lose Marvin Harrison Jr., but you're getting an experienced quarterback to replace the guy you're lo- to replace Common Cord, and you're adding a, a star running back to the, I mean, I just the, the expectations should be still exa- insanely high because the talent warrants it. I think this is at worst the second best roster in college football heading into 2024, and it's them in Georgia. And one and two is just going to depend on where if Caleb Jones chooses Ohio State or Georgia for me because offensively, I feel like. Both sides lost their – this is who our offense runs through. For Ohio State, it's Marvin Harrison Jr. For Georgia, it's Brock Bowers. But a lot of stuff for them is coming back as well. We were talking about this as we were leaving the Cavelli Center on Wednesday a little bit after uh, we uh, met with Ross Bjork, Ohio State's new athletic director, Andrew. I think right now, as I sit, I think that's your national championship game. Now, I don't know who's going to win it, and I don't, I'm don't. i not saying that's Ohio State's floor, but I do think right now where things sit, as things continue to develop here, as rosters continue to come together, and as we learn more information, my way too early thoughts are Ohio State and Georgia are going to be playing for the national championship at this time next year. Uh, yeah, my, my way too early thoughts are that Ohio State had better make the Final Four or else people will be looking for employment <laughs> elsewhere. Um, you know, th- this is a team who you are bringing back. Uh, what was the the hashtag that everybody had on defense? Like reload the clip or whatever. Like all the defensive guys are coming back. Essentially, you know, you're you're bringing back a ton defensively that you probably didn't think you were going to, and that defense was really good. And then, do you want to say that the offense is going to be upgraded? You lose Marvin Harrison Jr. You hope the offensive line is better. We'll see about Will Howard versus Kyle McCord. You have better running backs. Like there's, there's, uh, there's a there's an unknown factor. I think a little bit with the offense and what it could look like. But we just saw last year. Nathan made the point that Ohio State he thinks was a top four team. I think that they're right around there. Like if you want to make a case, they're four five, whatever three four five doesn't matter to me. But they were right around that area and. The offense obviously needed to improve. The defense was obviously very good. So to me, like the expectation that I have for this team is they should win the Big Ten because Michigan is probably going to be down. And if Michigan's going to be down, then that clears the road for you. I don't know if Oregon is there yet. I am a huge Dan Lanning guy, but Oregon, you're losing a Heisman Trophy candidate at quarterback. That's a big deal. Um, Penn State, who knows? It's James Franklin in a big game. We've all kind of joked about that. You know, maybe you like their OC that they brought in, and maybe you think that, you know, you can find something with Aller, but they're kind of an unknown. USC, I mean, what's going on there? Like, you could kind of go down the line, and not only is it Ohio State's really good, it's the other programs in the Big Ten that you would look at, you have questions about. And sometimes major questions about Washington. Hey, look, Washington just played the national championship game, but they lost their head coach. And Michigan just played the national championship game, just won the national championship, but they might lose their head coach. They lost their quarterback. They're going to lose a decent chunk of that roster. So if you make the Big Ten championship game and win it, which I think should be the expectation for this team, you're going to be getting a bye. 
and you are only going to have to win one game to get into that final four. And to me, that's 100% the floor for this team of kind of where you should look at, say this team needs to be a final four team. Because again, there's always the potential that you run into. I don't know if you want to say Georgia, because I don't know if Georgia is going to fall to to a position where you're playing Ohio State in the semis or something like that. But yeah, this team should be a final four team. And if not, I think you have to take a really, really good, long, hard look at where this program is headed, at least in, a, in terms of a direction. Well, I mean, obviously, we don't know circumstances. It's, it's one thing. It's like projecting where they where we think they will generally be in terms of the like the tiers of, of the sport next year. It, it will it depend on matchups at some point. Actually, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's ever been anyone east of the Mississippi who lives in a state that doesn't have a Publix who has said, I'm a huge Dan Lanning guy. You might be the first one. I've never been to Publix, by the way. So that's it's, a problem. It's fine. But I think it's a bit it's overrated. It's a grocery store. Um, <laughs> okay. It's a grocery store that makes sandwiches. Like, okay. Yeah. Right. Um, well, Wawa is too. But, well, Wawa's a gas station, but Wawa's heat. Yeah. So I, 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 reserve prefer, I prefer Wawa to Publix, having had them both. Yeah. Um, to get back to get back slightly on track, I just – the thing that we don't know yet, again, it's it, you can make these projections, you know – People last year thought Washington might be good this past year. There were others who, like myself, who were a bit skeptical of Michael Penix, a bit skeptical of the roster from top to bottom, a bit skeptical that that would hold up against the schedule they were playing. And the people who had belief in Washington turned out to be right. There's been other years, too, where you know LSU in 2019 was not projected to do what they ended up doing, which is kind of running roughshod over the sport. So that there's always that thing mm-hmm. on the horizon that we can't see yet that that might be a factor here, and you have to be. That's why I think when you if the people out there who are trying to say, "Oh, if Ohio State doesn't win a national championship this coming year," I'm like, it's it's way harder than that, folks. It's just it it is like everything has to go right in addition to you also being great because there's other teams out there who also are putting together great rosters and great staffs. So I think it's more about I, when you got to the end of this past season. It felt like you never saw the best version of what that collection of talent could have been to me. And the defense, you kind mm-hmm. of did, but on offense, it just never got on the right page for any kind of sustained period of time. It was good enough to go 11 and 0. It wasn't good enough to go 12 and 0. That was the crucial one. And then we saw the worst version of it in the Cotton Bowl. So I think what you have to do this coming season, if you're Ohio State, is find that that best version of yourself. That's really the way I look at it. And if you do that, then the wins and losses will, I'm not going to say they're automatic, but they will generally take care of themselves. When a collection of talent like this finds the best version of itself, 2019 is a good example. And that was a much easier schedule than most Ohio State teams get to play that that Ohio State team did. But we saw the best versions of that 2019 team. Did not see the best one in the, in the Fiesta Bowl against Clemson. There were definitely some drawbacks that night. But you came out of that season, and that, that almost made losing that game and not getting to play LSU and not really taking the shot at the national championship hurt even more, I think, for Ohio State fans because they saw what it could have been if they'd been able to replicate the best version of it. Um, and I think you even saw it in some other seasons. You saw the best, maybe the best version of Ohio State in 2021 when they obliterated Michigan State. They just couldn't do it mm-hmm. the next week when they really needed to do it. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I think this coming season, the, the first goal is the only thing you can control 
which is, I hate to sound like a coach, but the only thing Ohio State can control is being the best possible version it could be. And it didn't get that done last year. If it gets that done this year, then the variance of whether you win or lose, even against the best teams in the country, starts to really swing in your favor. Yeah, I, I, that's a good point. And every year you've at least seen what it could look like if it hits, even with, when you had bad defenses in 2020 and 2021. You, there were good games that year, like the Nebraska game in 2021. The defense won you that game because C.J. Stroud was kind of rough for the first two and a half quarters of that game. And I don't think we ever saw it from the offense. I don't know what their best game was because Michigan State doesn't count anymore. I just expect Ohio State's offense to do that to Michigan State until proven otherwise. I don't know what the best – game the 2022 defense against Notre Dame Notre Dame was a quality football team they weren't a top five team in the country football team but they were quality and they got held to 10 points in that game and to open that season up I don't know this year what Ohio State's best offensive game was against a quality opponent and I don't think that can happen again this year do I, I also don't think it will happen again this year where we get to the end of the year and you're thinking I don't know what their best game was but one more thing I want to touch on since you brought up the LSU point and the Washington point. I think those two got teams kind of fall in the same hats of like teams you weren't expecting to be what they were. And all of a sudden they're in the conversation to be national champions. Any thoughts I, from I either one argue, of you guys? I, I would just say I think more people even had Washington as a potential playoff team coming into this past season than people did for LSU in 2019. Yeah. Like that's how but off the, the radar the, that was. It went from mm-hmm. It went from like, okay, maybe a pretty good SEC team to, oh, is this the best team ever? Like that we've ever seen that, right. that happened in like a span of three and a half months. But there's like a team like that every year because TCU got to the national championship game and they sucked the year before that. And I'm wondering for both of you guys, and this isn't the question, but I'm just wondering now as we're sitting here in January and obviously all these answers are going to evolve. It's we're doing this in January. I think for me, Ole Miss is a team I'm looking at to potentially be that in 2024. And it's because Saban's gone their schedule kind of stinks, and they're doing that thing that I think a lot of teams are going to start doing is we might have a shot here. Let's go all in on the portal. Probably would have helped if they kept their star running back. Um, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, to replace him. <laughs> um, it was a big part of the offense last two years, 5,000-some five, 5, yards or whatever. Yeah, or not 5,000, but a lot, 3,000, 2,500. 2, no, I think that's prob- that's a fair one to speculate on, especially when you, when you know you have a good quarterback and he's coming back. That's what they did with Michael Penix last year at Washington that, you yep. know, LSU too. I was probably I was maybe making too many judgments based on the quarterback he had been and not projecting enough to the quarterback he could be. Though I had some skepticism he would get there, and some of that I thought was borne out in the national championship game as to how how good he might actually be. But um, no, I think that is a fair one to think about. I would also say though, like to counter the point I was making before, or not to counter it, but to just remind people, maybe to remind the nation, like we we had conversations on this pod a year ago over the course of the past year about Ohio State and how it had that 2021 class. And we did that pod that said, oh, could this be the best team ever? And somewhat tongue in cheek at the time. And obviously there were things about that class that didn't unfold the way that we were thinking they would at that moment Mm -hmm. uh, over the next three years. But we got to the point last year where we could look and say, well, listen, those things didn't happen. But this team still has its, I think Doug coined the phrase, the super team DNA. It still has the DNA of what a super team would need the defense the great players it it was kind of whether or not the Kyle McCord portion of that DNA would um 
push its way through to that next level. And that, that didn't really happen. Um, not, I don't think that he was single-handedly kept this program back, but th- that was a big part of why we thought last year could have they had some super team potential. And I think I look at this team the same way. I think there are still – we don't know that Will Howard is that upper elite level, upper echelon quarterback. We don't know for sure that the offensive line will be fixed enough in its second year to really impose itself on people. But there are reasons to believe that both those things could happen. And I think like super team – kind of season is is very much on the table for Ohio State next year, especially when you consider that they're not going to give up any touchdowns again next year. They didn't give up touchdowns. Teams don't score touchdowns on Ohio State last year, and their defense should be better. Like, they're, like they didn't give up more than two touchdowns in a game until Michigan. Like, it's – and there may not be a team as good as this past year's Michigan team on their schedule this year. So I don't think there will be. So the the just there's a high potential of achievement. I think it's it's fair to again be thinking about this in terms of um, if if they're not at least in that national championship mix in the final four, the final two games of the season uh, of the of the playoff, then you really will probably start what went wrong along the way. What went like catastrophically wrong along the way? Was it an injury to a quarterback? Was it uh, uh, widespread problems on defense and injury? It's almost like injuries are the only thing that would hold it back at this point. It's going to be an interesting conversation to talk about all season defense. I think we might do a pod on this at some point in this offseason, but they have a chance to really be at a historical level. PFF a couple weeks ago put out a stat about how Georgia's, Georgia's 2021 defense only gave up 17 or more points in three games that year, and Michigan was the same way in 2023. And it's like, well, how State did it once? <laughs> and it was to the team who won the national championship? I think – and I don't, it didn't correlate for me until I started looking at that. And so I, I – and all those pieces outside of four are coming back, and we feel like the guys who were replacing most of those pieces are – have the potential to be as good or maybe even better as the guys they're they're replacing. So I we might yeah I think we're going to explore that at some point in this offseason. That was question one. Let's get into question two here. Ryan here from the Winton Woods area. Winton Woods is down there in Cincinnati. That's where Mayan Williams and Jermaine Matthews are both from. I know it was brought up about Saban leaving, but now that we have had a week or so to let it marinate, looking at all the decommitments and transfer portal guys, do you think this is the end of a dynasty? Not saying that moving forward, Bama is going to be 6-6 six and six or worse, but do you see the shit being corrected before too much happens, or will they become the newest addition to the good but not great football program? Basically meaning, how we look at Nebraska now, do you think there is a chance that that could happen to Bama? Potential is there, just never making it beyond expectations or hitting. Andrew, I think that's a good question, and especially since college football is very different than it was even when Nebraska went through this, even when Ryan, even when Ohio State went through this, when losing their Hall of Fame legendary head coach. For one, that was a smoother transition because you hired from within and you made a decision in December, like 72 hours after the Big Ten championship game, instead of in the middle of January after you've already signed your class and you're supposed to be doing winter workouts and not worried about finding a head coach. That's a big difference there. But when you add in guys are going to leave – you add in the recruiting calendar and all these different things. What are the chances that Alabama is that next team that can join that list of you were once great. You were once a dynasty team, but now you're good, not great. 
Well, it depends on what you mean by once a dynasty, because if you were to say, oh, we think of them like we do Nebraska, I agree with the first part of that question, but not the second part. Because since I have this up, since Mike Riley took over at Nebraska in 2015, so you have Mike Riley, Scott Frost, and Matt Rule. Six and seven, nine and four, four and eight, four and eight, five and seven, three and five, three and nine, four and eight, five and seven. I don't think that's happening for Alabama. Um, so I'm not going to say that. Now, if you want to say they turn into Bo Pelini, Nebraska, they turn into Frank Solich, Nebraska. Okay. I, okay. Let's, let, but, let's have a dialogue. Well, but turn into that as in become that over as like the high, a high watermark that, forever. Going yeah. That's forward. what they're asking. That's, yeah, what I, that's what they're asking. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I don't think we're, I don't think we're talking about that. Um, I think you could be like, I think you could find a way to say that, you know, Hey, look, Alabama, the dynasty is over. Like, I, I think it's over. I I'm, I'm ready to put a fork in it. It's over. The greatest college football coach of all time just left. Unless you think that, um, Kalen DeBoer, is one of the greatest college football coaches of all time like it's 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 hard to to replicate that right you know the dynasty what, what did they win seven championships under Saban that's over the stat of you know hey well, no, he, recruit, he won it, six he won six at Bama one at LSU six at Bama I one believe. at LSU so yeah. it this you know the stat of like if you commit to Alabama and stay there for four years, statistically, you would have won a national championship under Saban. Like that's gone like that. I Like that. I mean, maybe not gone forever, but it's just really hard to win. And it's really hard to do that. So, yeah, I, I think you could say the dynasty's over without saying Alabama will never be you know, at this level again, I, I still think that they're a really good football team and they're still going to have a lot of talent, especially in 2024. And if Kalen DeBoer can, you know, kind of get things together and kind of lead, uh, lead a program in that type of way. Yeah. Then Alabama is still going to be really good. So it, it, it's kind of a yes and also no answer for me. Yes. Alabama's dynasty is over because Saban's gone and that's a huge deal. But no, I don't think that we're going to look at them in like a Nebraska sense where like that's, you know, like you guys said, the high watermark. I think you're you're looking at a team that, yeah, 11 and 1 and 12 and 0 is not going to be the benchmark. There might be a 9 and 3 thrown in here and you might look at them one year and be like, they might just not be that good. Like we thought that about Alabama at the beginning of the year. And guess what? They were a couple plays away from winning the national championship, most likely. And it's the kind of the same argument that you would have had about Ohio State last year, where I think if Alabama gets by Michigan in that game, if Caleb Downs' foot is in bounds on that first play of the game where they intercepted J.J. McCarthy and his foot was like six inches out of bounds, or if uh, McLaughlin doesn't have some of those bad snaps or whatever you want to say, I think you could kind of draw a line to Alabama's national championship team and they win the national title. and. I don't know. I, I, I just, I, I, it's, it's hard to see me. It's hard to see them replicating that level of success, but I don't think replicating that success in a one-off or sporadically is out of the question. I mean, it's not as if Alabama won a national championship every year, obviously. Right. Even, I mean, it was, it was 
darn near it for a while. <laughs> and they were they were most like often in the playoff. But they I mean they did there was a year they missed the playoff and it was well, not like they were on the verge of making the playoff in twenty nineteen. There right? was a stat that, that came out after the playoff where it was like under Nick Saban in the college football playoff era, the national champion either was Alabama or beat Alabama that season to get to a national championship. Yeah. Yeah. So they were they, they were the they, they were there. always yeah. there, yeah. Yeah, because LSU, Georgia, sure. I mean, yeah, that's true. Um, that's crazy. But, like, there were other years they didn't make the playoff. In 2019, the way it's set up right now, they wouldn't have even made a 12-team playoff. So they've already had, like, within this run of excellence, because, like I said before, I was talking about Ohio State, there's a lot of great teams. And you're just trying to be the greatest of the great in any given year, and sometimes you fall short of that. I, I do think that there's going to be this, – this next year could be tough. Like, they are losing a lot of dudes to the portal, although – I think a lot of these dudes are like first and second year guys. Now, some of them like Caleb Downs, like Caden Proctor, they were already starting. They're already making a huge impact. But mm-hmm. anybody else that you're losing, maybe they hadn't played yet, some decommits, those don't aren't going to affect how good you are in 2024. Those two guys will. I'm not saying they will not. Those two guys will. I was, Alabama will be worse in 2024 because it won't have Caleb Downs <laughs> and Caden Proctor, assuming both those guys stay in the proc, in the portal and go elsewhere. So, what I long-winded way of saying, I think there is going to have to be a step back. However, I kind of think Kalen DeBoer might be a dude. And, you know, you look at the totality of his experience. um, It was only the NAIA level when he was at... Mm -hmm. um, That's escaping me right now. Sioux Falls? Yeah, Um, Sioux Falls in California State. But but he dominated that level. And... Then he went to. Then he left to go be an assistant somewhere. It will climb his way up the, the the assistant ranks because this is where he wanted to be someday. Or really, probably more like Washington was where he wanted to be someday. I don't know if he thought he could someday be the head coach at Alabama. And then mm-hmm. he 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 gets to Fresno State and like pretty quickly, very successful there. And then gets to Washington and they're in the national championship game, fourteen and zero last year. And I'm looking ahead, like in 2025. Do you think Alabama's which do you think will be a better roster? Alabama's 2025 roster, however it comes together, or Washington's 2023 roster? And even if you think it's Washington's, do you think it's like heads and tails better than what Alabama will be a year from now when it probably has another strong recruiting class, already has talent entertaining on its roster? Um, and maybe maybe 2025 is too early, but like 2026. You know what I'm saying? This is kind of what I'm getting at, that I think you do have a legitimately really talented head coach who's going to be taking over one of, if not the premium college football brands. So I'm intrigued by what he will do with that. It'll look different than Saban. It probably won't be as dominant as Saban was. I don't know if anyone will ever be as dominant as Saban was, and I don't think that's a standard you want to really hold anybody to. That's a little bit it, – it just never been – it was unprecedented. And when things are unprecedented, that's because – they are they are without precedent. They, they, it, it's hard to make that the standard then. So I expect Alabama to still be one of the best teams in college football long term. I don't see them falling off the way that we saw. Well, it's a good example. USC, I suppose. Texas. Yeah. Like, I think that's I mean, I'm not saying that isn't among the possibilities. I'm not saying I can't see that happening, but I think it's more likely that because of the guy that they've hired, I think I just maybe believe in Kalen DeBoer a little bit more, uh, didn't mean to rhyme that, and think that he will figure something out here. If he, if he figured out how to do it at Washington in a short amount of time, 
I think he can figure out how to do something pretty special at Alabama too. And I what think if for, that's for what Ohio he... State fans, like for Ohio State fans, don't you kind of want like you, you've got these two games still right now against Alabama on the horizon in the schedule, 27-28. I would want him to have figured something out by 27-28. Cause I think if you go beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa, you want it to mean something. So Ohio State fans should be guardedly up to a certain point kind of hoping that, that Kalen DeBoer knows what he's doing. I think I've reached a point with those Alabama and Georgia and Texas games is that I would be pleasantly surprised if they actually get played. But they are still on the schedule right now, so you have to take it for what it is. Yeah, so I think that, first of all, I wonder if that um, – <laughs> I believe in DeBoer a little bit more. I wonder if he said that in the team meeting, and that's what made everybody walk out the door. <laughs> He was just like, nope. Da- he's, just the dad run so bad, you ruin yeah, a program. He's rapping, guys, he's rapping at us. We got to go to Georgia. I think <laughs> he was Nick Saban of the NIA level, so that's well, fair. Yeah. To, a, to, a, to a shorter extent. That, that's the thing, though. That's why I am curious about Bama, because Bama's run with Saban was just so much longer than all these other examples of what you would call a dynasty. Right, because Nebraska's was this window, USC's was this window. Ohio State's just been consistently good, so we're not even talking about them. But like seventeen years, dude, that's a long time to be in a championship window where you're actually winning national titles. That's what makes it so ridiculous. I believe in DeBoer too. My problem and my worry isn't in his ability to keep Alabama in a position where they're in the playoff, especially in the twelve team playoff world. My issue is Kirby Smart. Brian Kelly, Brent Venables, Steve Sarkeesian. And it's just the expanding landscape that is the SEC right now. And that's like Saban trumped all of those guys because he was Saban. DeBoer, Alabama just went from being first in line to last in line while an Alabama disciple basically and Kirby Smart is turning Georgia into Alabama. So I think that's where the struggle is is some of these guys where you were literally just getting because you were the coach that was first in line, you don't get them anymore. And what if enough cycles go by where you don't get those players, but they're going to Georgia, they're still staying in the SEC. Then all of a sudden you're constantly the fourth best team in the SEC, which is still good, but it's not to the to the question, it's good not great. I think Brian Kelly, Steve Sarkeesian are fine football coaches. I do not expect them to play in more national championship games in the next decade, maybe combined, than Alabama. Ooh, that's the way to mark it down on a Monday, Nathan Baird. I mean, I think they're they're very good football coaches. I think they're among yeah. the top 10 worst, uh, at worst, college football coaches, right? I think Brian mm-hmm. Kelly is demonstrably one at a certain level everywhere he's been. Steve Sarkeesian mm-hmm. has done some, some good things, and... But uh, I don't know that I'm convinced. I need to see it get replicated at Texas in particular. Okay. Um, and I think that's safe. It's fair to say about Alabama yeah. or LSU too. Like LSU was the team that was the opposite of Washington. LSU was the team that everybody thought might be a playoff team this past mm-hmm. year. And then it just, they couldn't get it together. And they wiped out his whole defensive staff after two years right. to, to try to. And that's, that's not a thing where he like inherited a staff. Like he brought those guys to LSU, yeah. and then two years yeah. in, it's like, oh, whoop, mistake, and now all those guys are gone. So, I'm I, I don't know if he can break through to the the upper echelon on a consistent basis. But it's going to be harder. It's going to be harder for anybody to have a dynasty going forward, I think, because of the mm-hmm. twelve team playoff. That itself is going to be just anytime you have to win an extra game, and then or maybe two extra games, 
it it that makes it that much tougher. It it just is. It's just it's tougher to have that run. It's easier to win a college football championship for Alabama, a team that would almost always be in a top four conversation. Mm-hmm. It's easier for Alabama to win more national championships in the four team era than in the twelve team era, I think. Because you're excluding more teams. There are teams that don't have any chance to get into it um, in the in the four team era. That's that's actually an interesting question. Like, is do, do is a dynasty more likely in a four team playoff or a twelve team playoff? Because I think in a four team playoff, you mentioned it. It can be a one off. Like TCU got destroyed by Georgia, but TCU can beat Michigan in a one off and then be done. And then we saw what yeah, happened to why. TCU the next week. So, like, my question is like, you have you can lost have two of its last of- three games that year. What's that? Yep. TCU lost two of its last right, games right. that year. Lost but, that, but that's Howard what I'm saying. Like you can have, uh, like you can have an upstart kind of. Hey, look at this new kid on the block in this type of week, and what happens in the second week? Like the famous example, I know. Like um, there's a you know National College Football podcast, the Solid Verbal. They did like a rewatchable during COVID, where they where they just went through big games. They talked about the Oklahoma Boise State game in the Fiesta Bowl, one of the greatest college football games of all time. And their point was, what happens if Boise State has to go play Ohio State the next week? What 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 is that line? So I think yeah. that you could make the case that like, yeah, you know what, you could have, you know, you you're gonna have more teams in here, but I also think that there is kind of this argument of like over time the more talented teams would kind of rise to the top. And I and I, I'm curious about that. I think that's a it, that's an interesting debate. I think the first couple of years of this are going to be an interesting theory for that because yeah. we, I mean, you said we said that a little bit with the fourteen playoff, and then the first time we did it, the team who everybody thought maybe shouldn't have been in the playoff won the national championship game. So it, it's, it's every time you get on the field, there's a chance to win and there's a chance to lose. So that's why it's harder. It's going to be harder in a twelve team playoff to have a dynasty than it would be in a fourteen playoff or even in the BCS era where it's just like. Win this one game and you win a national championship. Win these two games and you win a national championship. But in but in win those eras, up to four games, win a national championship. But in those eras, like in the BCS national championship game, it's not just win this one game, you win a national championship. It's if you lose once, you're screwed. So I think that there yeah, is also that kind of argument too. where, like, if you're Alabama, that's you know going to be twelve and zero, and you're just running through the schedule, and all of a sudden you lose to upstart nine and three Ole Miss, that might keep you out of a title game one game so i don't know i think it's an yeah, interesting theory that's, no that's, that's fair football, we've man. obviously brought that up in in support or in arguing that this is a good thing for how state in the long run to have the the the, the 12 team playoff i think for mm-hmm. me though it's 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 just you know everybody loves the march madness cinderella stories those teams that go on those great runs you know uh florida gulf coast and and whoever else Saint George Peter's, Mason. yeah yeah th- i mean those are a, a ton of fun but if you look historically at yeah. the seeds yeah. that make up the final four, it's it, how many of them are are, are are four and above. Like it's it's mm-hmm. it's usually the uh, a fairly chalky tournament at the end yeah. at the end at the final four. So I think that in, bat, in football, being a a sport where the power imbalance is even greater, I would argue, and then B, you're you're lopping off. It's only twelve teams. So like it, it's just I I think you're. I just don't expect. I like that this new format will have the op, the opportunity for teams 
that are lower seeds to get to have their say and and have their chance to like do something historic. And maybe that could be something that triggers and helps push them up. That's a thing that's missing right now in this sport is teams that can use in the way you can in basketball. In football, there's teams that are sort of excluded from being able to use the national championship structure to enhance their program. Only four teams in a given year get to do that, and now it could be up to 12 that get to take that shot. So I like that, but I'm not expecting, um, you know, oh, the night, the, uh, the 12 yeah. seed and the 11 seed. Liberty's in the Believe final that? four. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No. That's a, that's a good example. Like, I mean, no. I don't, would Cincinnati have made the final four in 2021 no. if it was a 12 team playoff? No, probably I not. Think, I don't, but think so. it's a, I think a good example is, and obviously they didn't get the full fledge of Ohio state because there were guys in the transfer portal when Devin Brown went down for two seconds, but the way Missouri is going to use that Cotton Bowl win to hopefully try to take the next step. Yes, but, I'm but saying, it's, that's not nearly the same thing. Yeah, it's, it's but, to do but, it in the imagine, national championship spotlight is a different thing altogether. That's what I'm saying. Like, what if that was in a playoff c- scenario and they win that type of game? And it's like, oh, we took this next step. We got to a Final Four that year, and now you're. It, it doesn't pay off the next year, but down the road it starts to pay off because now you can view yourself in a different light simply because you got over this hump. Yeah, I should actually maybe take that back about Cincinnati because they were they would have had a bye. They would have only had to win one game. I don't know who they would have been matched up against. They still based on the seating. So maybe they could have won one game and made the final four. It just I'm not expect I'm not expecting true Cinderella runs on the reg in football. So let's take a break there, and then we're gonna actually do rapid fire after we come back here on the, from the break on Buckeye Talk. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. If you like food and drink, and who doesn't, we're breaking new ground with our lively new podcast about dining and drinking in Greater Cleveland. Hosts Josh Duke and Alex Darris crackle with their fun talk about the latest foodie happenings. Joined by the most in-the-know experts in town, Mark Bonna, Paris Wolf, and Pete Chikirin, it's called Dine, Drink, CLE. You can find it anywhere you download podcasts. Give it a listen and get your mouth watering. Get the text 614-350-3315 so that when we send out questions, uh, call out for rapid fire questions, we can spend 35 minutes on every single one of those questions because we know you love it, people. 
We know you love it. Two week free trial, three ninety nine for that. Six one four three five zero three three one five. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis. This is your Monday Buckeye talk. I thought this was an interesting question because it's like a philosophical thing. But like for you as a media member covering college sports from the six one four. What's the earliest in a player's time as a Buckeye you've been able to tell that they were going to be elite? And how did you know? I'm going to go first here because my first season on the beat, I came in halfway through the 2018 season. I actually, my first game was the Nebraska game that year. And that game was was not a good representation of what that team was that year. They didn't throw the ball well. They gave, well, it was a good reputation of the defense. They gave up like 30 plus points and J.K. Dobbins ran the ball like 40 times. But because I just gotten on the beat, you're trying to get a cut, a, acquainted with things, trying to get to know things. You're learning about, hey, this is who they're recruiting. So I learned about this guy named Garrett Wilson, who has strong Ohio ties. They lived in Dublin for a while, Dublin, Ohio, which is where I live now. I live in Dublin, Ohio now. But then he moved down to Texas, and he was at the same school as Baker Mayfield. And I just remember having this conversation, and it was me and Doug, and we were in the car, and he was, we were talking about Baker, and we were talking about Garrett Wilson and just the connections, and just you know having conversations. And that spring, we got the early enrollees and we were talking with Garrett Wilson. And there was a lot of questions to Garrett Wilson about what Clemson had just done in the national championship game with like freshman wide receivers and asking Garrett, hey, do you think you can do that? And he's like, yeah, if I get the opportunity, I think I can do that. And I'm like, "Okay, we'll see. I knew Garrett Wilson was going to be awesome the first time I saw him catch a football in a spring game. The first catch he caught in the spring game was just a simple out from Matthew Baldwin, which was his quarterback in high school, who was at Ohio State as well before he transferred to TCU and then eventually medically retired. The second ball he caught from Matthew Baldwin was a fade route in the end zone where he went up like a dude who was not 5'11", but instead was six foot four with a 40-inch wingspan uh, vertical. And I said, okay, that dude's going to be a first-round draft pick. And I was hooked on Garrett Wilson ever since. It's the thing we talk about all the time, Nathan. That's what happened for me with Garrett was – you bite as a pup, even if it's in a small moment like that, that's kind of meaningless. It's like, oh, you see what this can be. Now let's spend the next three years watching it turn into what it's supposed to turn into. And it ended up turning into that for me. So that's everybody who listens to this pod knows that like Garrett's my guy. Garrett has even like mentioned it to me at times that he knows I talk about him on this pod. But that was for me, my introduction to like a guy where I was fully invested in. He is going to be a dude at Ohio State. And I ended up being right. Yeah. That was, that was one that, and the fact that he got on the field immediately as a freshman mm-hmm. certainly helped, but you could see it before that. I was trying to think of things that I've seen in like spring ball that I had a similar reaction to, and I wasn't really coming up with anything. I was thinking about the Jackson Smith the Jigba touchdown catch in 2020 against mm, Nebraska. It's a good one. The like toe tap in the back of the end zone. We're like, oh, oh no, he's one. got, he can do something a little different. Um, that one like really sticks out to me and, and then same, uh, next, the next season, the Trevor Henderson screen pass against Minneapolis or, uh, Minnesota where he just, you know, goes into hyperspace and you're like, Oh, that's what that was supposed to look like eventually. And it already looks like that. So that was two mm-hmm. guys that I think you saw even in, in, in Jackson with the case, it was really a flash because he did not have really a role in that offense in 2020. But you saw it coming. You saw, and and to the point where the next year, when they shifted some things with Garrett Wilson, and put to put Jackson Smith and Jigba in the slot, like, and then pushed a, a future first round pick out of the program, basically in in Jameson Williams. You knew why they were doing it. Like it wasn't it wasn't a a leap of faith that mm-hmm. you you had enough 
tangible things to tell you that where that was going. Andrew, do you have any in your career as a sports journalist? It doesn't have to necessarily be at Ohio State. It can be in general since you haven't been here that long. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the Ohio State aspect of this, I'm trying to because like I only I remember I've, I've made this point a couple times. Like I had two practices where I saw them mm-hmm. play football. And then the next time I saw them play football was at Indiana in week one. Um, so I kind of saw with everybody else. Um, you know, who, who was good and who was not, um, trying to think that Sonny Styles was probably the guy that jumps off the page for me immediately as like a, whoa, like this guy just looks different. You know, like this guy, this does, this isn't how safeties are supposed to look. This guy should be 40 pounds heavier and playing defensive end. And all of a sudden he's a safety. And like, I, um, yeah, Sonny Styles was the guy. I'm trying to think of other times in my career because in the NFL, you know, when when I covered the NFL, you get a lot more of you get to watch practices. Uh, I thought Miles mm-hmm. Boykin was going to be a stud for the Ravens. Uh, oops, um, he was killing it in training camp in 2019. He was mossing Marlon Humphrey and Earl Thomas and all these other great dudes, and he, I thought he was going to be great. Um, Lamar, I, I'm not going to take credit for Lamar, but you could tell Lamar was good. Like, like, re, like, not just like good, good, but like, oh my God, no one on the field can touch this dude good. Um, my first season covering the Ravens was the year that he won MVP in 2019 when they went 14 and two. So like, there's, there's definitely kind of moments. And, and I think one of the things that I learned to do with that was sometimes you got to look at the opponents that they're going up against. Like if, if you're, if you're trying to look at a receiver, like if you're looking at Garrett Wilson, when he shows up at spring practice or whatever, sometimes you got to look at the defenders and see what they're doing and what their reaction is, because there were a lot of dudes, like they played the, the Eagles in a joint scrimmage and Lamar kind of took off and obviously no touch in the quarterbacks, but you just saw some like Eagles players, like look around at each other. Like, is this man serious? Like, can he do this? Like if, you know, you see Garrett Wilson go for a great catch and, yeah. you know, somebody turns around, they throw their hands up, like, what in the hell am I supposed to do? Like that, I think, is where you can start to get an essence of like, OK, wow, like this dude is just absolutely torching players who are doing everything right. So there, you can tell, I think, on, on a couple of different situations, even sometimes you think you're, you know, you think you're right and you might be wrong. We we don't get to watch a lot of practice in college football, obviously. And so by the time we had seen what Garrett did, players had seen it enough that when we're asking about it about after the game, Justin's like, yeah, he just kind of does that. <laughs> That's just like what happens out there. We're kind of used to it. Since you mentioned one where you were wrong, Andrew, I think Nathan and I should probably do the same here. Anybody <laughs> you were really high on and it just it just didn't work out the way you thought it could have worked out. Uh, man, that's even tougher because um, you're they, never they wrong. Tend to usually if they play, they they play. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Do you have one off the top of your head? Because I don't know if I have Jack Sawyer and Julian Fleming would be that for me. And I think those two have been a lesson in putting context behind stars more than anything else in the world. Because I think behind the recruiting you, stars, you're saying, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think when you just look at Julian Fleming's recruiting profile on a page 
or you look at his highlight realm, it's like, oh, that guy's going to be crazy good when he gets to college. But then you take into the context of that guy has been dealing with shoulder injuries since he was like a sophomore in high school. He's coming from a school where he's running the wing tree offense. So he might be an awesome blocker, which I think he was. I thought he was an awesome blocker on the perimeter for Ohio State the last years, especially in comparison to some of these other guys, man. Like Julian had that pat down. But there was going to be – he was going to have to learn how to play football at Ohio State in a way that, quite frankly, Jackson Smith the Jigbo wasn't going to have to learn the same way because he grew up playing in Texas and the other one grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania. And so I thought Julian would be this guy. Quite frankly, when Julian Fleming committed in the spring of 2019 and now if someone would have came back and told me, hey, this receiver is a two-time All-American Blintnikoff Award winner, and he might be the first wide receiver taken off the board in his draft class, I would have been like, oh, that's Julian Fleming. He's going to be that. Not Marvin Harrison Jr. It's going to be Julian Fleming. Do you look at this guy? And so I think that's why, for me, I've had to learn that. It's the same thing with Jack Sawyer. I just thought five-star who's like got quick twitch and spending all of his time around Larry Johnson because he committed so early, he's going to get here and he's going to turn into Nick Bosa. On day one, he's got five sacks as a freshman, 12 sacks as a sophomore, and then he might flirt with Chase Young's record as a junior. And it's a lot more nuance with that. And I've had to learn that lesson over time. It was a good lesson for me to learn, though, in that stars matter, but it, where you grow up, your context behind how you became that player, why people view you a certain way matters just as much. I never really thought of one. <laughs> I've been trying to think of one. I haven't really... I haven't really come up with. I mean, there's there's certainly been some guys. I don't know if I I don't know if there's anyone that I thought was going to be elite, mm-hmm. and then it was just I was like elite. I think is something that you at least the way I observe things. I'm I'm not I'm slow to put that on someone young. That's fair. I'm you are like, slow oh, well, to that's, it. That's going to be insane. Um, there have definitely been guys who I thought were going to make an impact and never did. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I I thought I thought there was enough there with seven banks that he would get on the field and and mm. and be a solution for Ohio State at cornerback for those couple of years, and it just for like every reason under the sun didn't happen. I'm not trying to single him out because I you know there were some injuries and things that that went into that eventually too, but the way that that all played out, I always felt was strange. Um, I always thought there was there was like more from Tyleek Smith than we ever fully got to see in a sustained way mm. and what that could have been if we had if we had seen that if his trajectory had just been if he'd gotten into football just a little bit earlier in life does it hit in a bigger way at Ohio State I don't I don't know uh but there, there so there are guys like that but I don't think those are that's not examples of guys where like you saw them and were like oh no that's yeah hey, guys other guys don't do that Usually that's a pretty special thing when you see it, and it's hard to ignore. I would put Jelani Thurman on the list of guys who like flirts with that category that you're talking about. But then also just because I've learned lessons from the past of like, is it going to hit that way that maybe it should hit at Ohio State when you've got all these weapons and tight ends, a developmental position and all those things. So those players do exist. And Andrew, you'll go through this when we get in there for spring practice. We usually get that first practice to go in there and you'll see guys for the first time in months after they've gone through winter workouts. And sometimes it's like that dude doesn't look like a normal human being in those pads. That's typically where it starts. And then it goes from there. Micah in Utah. Will OSU and Ryan Day be looked at negatively for holding back CJ Stroud? His rookie QB success is unparalleled. 
but he had no championships at OSU and was 0-2 against the team up north. With a player that good, shouldn't OSU have won more in the C.J. Stroud years? Yes, it should have won more in the C.J. Stroud years, but it isn't because Ryan Day was holding him back. It's because the rest mm. of the program wasn't good enough. C.J. Stroud wasn't good enough to lift Ohio State past its deficiencies in those two seasons. Mm. The program as a totality wasn't good enough to win championships. And it almost, frankly, I mean, 2022, they're right there. They're right there. Yeah. So, like, it, it's, like, I, I, how much do you want to say, like, that's, I know they didn't win the game, but you're, you're like, right there. It's only so much that you can call that a failure, right? So, I, I, but I remember saying to, we were standing on the field 2022 after the game, the game, and we were having, as we usually do, like, grading the, grading C.J. Stroud, and I don't remember if we did, if it was in that video or if we did another one about, like, what is this for his legacy? Because we just talked to him post-game. But I remember saying at that time, it was like, you, me, and Doug standing next to each other, and I made that point that, like, we're going to look back someday and wonder how, like, Ohio State failed C.J. Stroud in these two years. C.J. Stroud came here and gave Ohio State everything it could have wanted from a quarterback. And Mm -hmm. no Big Ten championships, no – uh, only the one playoff game, which we didn't think they were going to get at that moment. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it felt like we could someday say Ohio State had failed C.J. Stroud. And I remember Doug kind of being like, hmm, like it, like, like you almost got like jabbed in the – like I always like when you're like doing a video like that and you say something and somebody has to go, oh, like like he hadn't really thought of it from that perspective before. But I, that's how I look at it. I was actually having this argument with somebody else on the beat recently. Like they said something about like putting Stroud down in the in the level of like guys who didn't get Ohio State far enough almost like he was a mccord like guy and i'm like what are you talking about like he's he was a two-time heisman finalist like well the team didn't win like the team like we were right there to win a national championship if they have a defense that can make like one more tackle just one how different is that it's just it it boggles my mind that people make some of these sweeping dismissals of a guy's career because the team around him had deficiencies he couldn't overcome. And that's how I would describe the 2021-2022 Ohio State seasons. Andrew, how would you describe it? As a person who was on the outside looking in at that time. It's hard because I you don't want to, like like Nathan said, you don't want to just say, wow, C.J. Stroud like couldn't win the big one and Ohio State failed him or whatever. Like, I, you, I think... Over time, though, it would start to garner more kind of credence, if you will, because like Nathan said, like CJ Shroud was not the reason that Ohio State lost in the playoff game to Georgia. And like CJ Shroud was was not holding Ohio State back. And I do think, though, that there is a there is something to the fact that Hey, if you go through an era where like you have Ohio State's 2019 team with the defense as good as that was and the talent that you have offensively, you have Justin Fields, a quarterback, and then you go to CJ Stroud. Um, and then let's say Will Howard has a good year. And then all of a sudden Air Noland is, you know, the next guy. And, like, and you just kind of keep adding these guys that go down the line and you're not winning. I think then it becomes an issue because you can have a one-off like Peyton Manning never won a national championship at Tennessee. And I'm sure you could go through and find a lot of other guys that never won national championships as a one-off. But the oh, more yeah. you go through and look at, hey, this guy never won with a dude who's like an all-pro in the NFL. 
And like, what, like, what if Justin Fields goes to another team next year and becomes like a pro bowl level quarterback in the NFL? And it was very clear that it was just the bears that were kind of doing wrong by Justin Fields. Then all of a sudden you're sitting there in a situation where it's like, man, that's not good (laughs) for you had that in your building and and you couldn't win. What's the problem? Like what went wrong? And yeah, there's a one-off, but I think over time, that's when you start to get some real answers here. And that's when you start to get some, um, you know, that's when you start to see some, um, some trends, if you will. I, I don't think you could look at it as like a one year CJ Stroud thing or a two year CJ Stroud thing, but I do think you can look at it as like, Hey, you had Justin Fields and then CJ Stroud. And then I don't know, Will Howard, who was a Heisman contender. And then you had this guy and then it just didn't work. What in the world happened? But it, I mean, it's again, it's like, I mean, to say it didn't work, like they, they they made a playoff game with Justin Fields. They made the national championship game with Justin Fields. They made the playoff again and lost by one point to the eventual national champion with CJ Stroud. Like it, they're in the very last conversation repeatedly with these quarterbacks. So even if it isn't completing the national championship, I just I have a hard time saying that it's it. it, it I guess maybe you're kind of agreeing with me, right? That it's more yeah. the other things are going on in the program than the quarterback. Yeah. And I think the, the Manning example is a good one for two reasons. Number one, he was like un, undoubtedly great mm-hmm. as, as a college quarterback. Like everybody knew this guy was going to go throw for a billion yards in the NFL and be an all-time great when he was at Tennessee. And he even came back as a senior, surprisingly, in part because he wanted to win that national championship and, and didn't get there. Didn't even win the Heisman. Yeah. He famously mm-hmm. lost to the Charles Woodson Heisman year. So, and then... He leaves and they win a national championship with T. Martin. Yeah. And there's so there's other dynamics that happen. It has to do with the full talent on the roster. It also has to do with who's in your way and how good they happen to be that year. Like there's it's it, there's a lot more nuance to it than just like, well, you had a good team. Why didn't you win a national championship with it? Uh, so that one's the one that comes to mind. And also like like Patrick Mahomes didn't win any national championships. Texas A and M Texas Tech was bad. So yeah. The te- yeah, it's what I'm saying. Like it's so you have to be careful with. Yeah. I, I I'm glad you used this question, Stephen. I'm not trying to to yep. uh, criticize the person who sent it because I understand maybe why they're thinking about it this way. And I think they were maybe genuinely asking. Is yep. but but the conversation is it, it just it, I, I was amused by the conversation going 360 degrees almost or 180 degrees because it used to be when is one of these quarterbacks going to go to the NFL and prove that Ohio State can develop. NFL quarterbacks and now just CJ Stroud like definitely has done that and already the question's like well doesn't this mean that they were just messing around when he was there and like they if like it's it's like which that they were holding him back from being as great as he could have been in college like no 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 he was as great as he I think probably could have been in college I guess you could argue he could have run more but I don't know that that would have led to more Ohio State wins in the aggregate. Like I think it's more that they didn't sync up a generational potentially quarterback with the rest of a roster that was healthy in the right ways. That yeah, that that's my point. Like when you look at it in a long-term perspective, I think you you have a quarterback that like if you can continually put quarterbacks into the NFL that were great college quarterbacks and turn out to be great pros and you're not winning, it's like, okay, well you've got the biggest piece of the puzzle solved. And you've got obviously a great host of receivers for this. What's happening? Like, I think then it looks negatively kind of in the aggregate over time because it's, 
hey, you aren't winning national championships with quarterbacks that maybe they're winning Super Bowls down the line and maybe they're all pro players down the line. So it's like, okay, what else went wrong for you? And why is this continually happening when the most important part of your program, the most important part of the roster is a dude who's objectively awesome and now you still can't win? What's what's going on? It's not just him. It's the receivers they had too. I mean, my God, the receivers they had those two years. So – but it's in a lot of these conversations we have, this goes back to the 12 team playoff conversation we had earlier. A lot of these conversations, we talk about talent, we talk about coaching, we'll even talk about the schedule. But that doesn't also, that doesn't even talk about the schedule, doesn't quite get to this other point that's always there. And I don't know if we always bring it up enough. And that's just timing. And it, when you bring up timing, it makes it sound like you are trying to preemptively make excuses for why something might not happen. But it just, Things have to sync up the exact right way sometimes. Like, did you get the 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 three seed or the four seed? And who did that decide who you had to play? Like, all those things. And then, like, how were they? Were they – did they just finally get healthy late in the season and they were underseeded at the seed they had? Like, it, it – it's – those things are, are a part of this. And um, people – again, I think we try to – we maybe we – intentionally don't talk about that enough because it sounds like we're making excuses but it's undeniably a part in how a lot of things play out in sports i love the way this question was phrased because for starters it just sparked all of that that was great that was fun to watch i think ohio state failed him yes i do in fact i wrote it the last two games he ever played as an ohio state buckeye my headlines were after the michigan game ohio state cj stroud could have won the heisman trophy against michigan and ryan day failed him C.J. Stroud came to the college football playoff ready to rewrite his Ohio State legacy, but it wasn't enough. And in both of those, I talk about how they failed him. It wasn't on him. It's not his fault why those things happened. Andrew, you mentioned the trend of like if you have multiple quarterbacks and that's the thing, but I think that's part of the point here. C.J. Stroud might be the best quarterback Ohio State has ever had. Mm-hmm. And if we have a Mount Rushmore conversation about Ohio State quarterbacks, I don't know if we can include him on that Rushmore because he doesn't have the team success. And we have been, as media members, drilled into winning is a part of a quarterback stat. I think the only thing, and whether you agree with it or not, that's what has happened here. You can say no and not agree with it. And I don't agree with it either, but that's what's happened here. As we've made winning a quarter, you can literally go on football reference right now. If you look up CJ Stroud's NFL stats, one of the things you're going to have in his box score is what his record is as a starter. We did that. We created that narrative as people that winning and losing and losing is a quarterback stat. The running is, it's not, I don't know if it's shocking for me that he's running this much in the NFL. I think it just more validates, and I think I've said this before, it validates the idea that him not running at Ohio State was more of a Ryan Day thing than a C.J. Stroud thing, and what what Ryan Day wants from his quarterback, so whatever, that's going to be what it's going to be. But Nathan, I think Ohio State failed him, because they had this dude who was probably the best quarterback to ever walk through the door, and they did not have the necessary pieces around him to complement that that they could use that and turn it into a trophy. That's why they failed him. It's not because the Oregon game, he he had a really good Oregon game. He made a couple bad plays at the end of that game, sure. But it's also his second game as a starter and the second game he's ever even thrown a pass in. And if you, his numbers outside of that were fine. His relationship with Ohio State is going to continue to be interesting as time. I'm, I'm with you. We're going to look back on this in 25 years ago. How the heck did you not win a national championship with this guy? But there was also a point in his career here where if you look at his story, people wanted him bitched for the guy who was the starter in 2023. So it's just, it's all crazy. It's all just 
his his whole story with Ohio State is this big, crazy thing that I have come to the conclusion that, yes, Ohio State failed was arguably the best quarterback that has ever walked through its doors. I think I, I might have slightly misread the question thinking that it, do I, I was reading it that it, does this somehow reflect negatively on Ohio State's like quarterback development? That's but that's no, not, no, no, I no, guess. No. But I would also still quibble with the question because the the question is written Will Ohio State and Ryan Day be looked at negatively for holding back CJ Stroud? And my point was no, because they mm. already should be. Like they, <laughs> as soon as that 2022 <laughs> Michigan game ended, I was like, yeah. How did they do? How did they get through two years of CJ Stroud and all these receivers and you can't win one Michigan game? You, you can't beat Michigan either year. You can't. And I'm the one yeah. who has very much also said, Hey, let's not forget that Michigan has had some talent. And that's obviously been somewhat validated by winning a national championship. So mm-hmm. that is a, that's a factor too. But still, like that that's what they're going to look back someday and say, you had all of this talent and you did what? Like you didn't you yeah. could, you didn't play in a Big 10 championship game? Like so I think that was apparent already. He didn't have to go to the NFL and be successful. I think that was already the way it was. Now it's just kind of being amplified and it, it's going it, to it's one of the reasons why Ohio State needs to do something this year to kind of distract from narratives mm-hmm. like that. They need to give people another thing to look at. No, that's fair. I think going to the NFL and doing what he's doing, even if it was to a notch lower and not record-breaking level, I think it's just made him more appreciated throughout the fan base in a way that I don't think he always was when he was here. And he's acknowledged that at times when he was here. he's not. He was not always appreciated while he was at Ohio State the way he is maybe appreciated now for what he's doing when he's gone. A couple more here, one that's more to probably be more Andrew and I answering it than Nathan is going to be answering it, and then just one more on the future. But first, before we get into that, just people want to know about us. From the 434, not knowing much about y'all's backgrounds besides covering OSU football, did each of you go to school to be a journalist, and was it your plan coming out of high school? Or if you just ended up in this profession, what did you originally want to do Andrew we'll start with you did you go to school to be a sports journalist yes or no and give us your story of how you got here yes um so I was in high school in um Virginia and if you know anything about Northern Virginia everybody goes to three colleges uh George Mason James Madison or uh, Christopher Newport and occasionally you have kids go to Virginia Tech occasionally have the really smart kids go to UVA or William and Mary and none of those schools had journalism programs. So I was like, all right, mm-hmm. well, I want to major in journalism. So where can I go? And I looked at a state. One of my friend's sisters was a student at Ohio University. So she had been kind of like hyping it up for like years, like that this place is great. They have a great journalism program, Andrew, you should go. Um, but another one of the things that really kind of stuck out to me was that it had a great sports management program too. So it was journalism and sports management. And that was actually my minor. Because when I went to school, I was starting with journalism, but I was also kind of like keeping my options open. Um, I thought about like going into like TV and radio for a little bit. Um, you know, I I wrote for the newspaper immediately. I thought about the TV radio side, I took some sports management classes. And then I just kind of like thought that I was better at journalism and like better at written journalism and, and kind of covering TV. you heard it here first yep. andrew is saying tv and radio people are not journalism <laughs> jesus criminy <laughs> um but no uh so i um steven i can't believe you said that it completely threw me off um so i you know i i thought i was better at it and you know i just um 
I kind of stuck with it from there. I uh, covered wrestling in my first year, wrestling and softball. And um, I uh, I just kind of rode that train and rode that train through college. And, you know, la-di-da, here we are. Nathan, did you go to school for journalism? And is this what you wanted to do? Uh, yes, and sort of, to answer those in the back backwards. So very early, I had an inkling this is what I was going to do. When I say very early, it's come to my mind again today. We're recording this on Friday. Yeah. News has come out about the like continued demise of Sports Illustrated. And mm. as soon as I saw that news, and, and Sports Illustrated is a shell of what it used to be anyway, but like it reminded me of like I was probably like, I mean, I'm really trying to remember, like 10 or 12 years old maybe, and already then, like, my parents knew that I was, like, into this and got me a subscription to the Sporting News and Sports Illustrated. And just, like, all summer, just devouring those on all those days where you're, you're home from school and you can just read stuff, like, over and over and over again. And um, just just hugely influential in my life. And it's really sad to see, um, especially in the case of Sports Illustrated, what that has devolved into just, you know, corporate greed and... Uh, incompetence crushing up just a, a giant uh, of American culture. Um, but yeah, so by the time I got to high school, I already knew I wanted to do this. So but, but I didn't come out of high school knowing I went into high school knowing this. I kind of was either going to be this or maybe I thought I could be like a teacher and a coach. My parents are both teachers. My dad had been a, a basketball coach. Um, but I think I thought that like you go to school every day and see teachers and coaches and your parents were that. And this seemed just more like a um, more special or something, right? Like it's more like exotic. Like you're going and doing a job. That, I didn't know anybody else who did this job. So like the, the opportunity to go do it um, just seemed uh, just more exciting. And so I did some writing for our local like weekly in uh, high school, the Seidel Reporter, still operating today. And then um, went to college in the town I grew up bigger town. I grew up around Danville, Illinois. There's a community college there that I went to start working as a local paper there and then just have been doing that ever since. So that was like 96 was when I graduated high school. I've been doing it at some paper pretty much nonstop in some capacity since then. So we're coming up on 28 years of that. Um, so yeah, the bulk of my life I've been doing it. So yeah, very early on. And I went to college for, they didn't have a journalism program where I went to school. But I had already actually been a full-time like staff reporter. I had stopped going to school at one point to work for that paper full-time and then went back to school. I kind of already had the fundamentals down at that point. And then when I moved to Chicago to go to school, I went to Illinois, Chicago, and then got, in, got my foot in the door at the Tribune, just like doing part-time stuff in high schools. And so that was kind of my, my greater journalism education while I was being an English major. I was essentially a creative writing major. You've been in this profession for 28 years? I mean, I was, I wasn't, I wasn't a, I wasn't making my living at it oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah, summer I got out of high school. But I mean, you could even say earlier than that. Like I, again, I was like, I did it for the, the local weekly when I was in high school, I was like playing on the baseball team and then doing like little write-ups about the baseball team for the local paper. Or I was like the manager of the basketball team and did that. Maybe I didn't do it for baseball. I definitely did it for basketball. And that would have been like when I was like a, a like a sophomore junior in high school. So we're coming up on like 30 years since like my first byline. Your first byline is older than me. <laughs> oh, I know. 
Nathan, did you have Sports Illustrated for kids? Did you read that? Were like, did you read the actual Sports Illustrated, or did you get the four kids version too? I believe I that I did yeah. get the four kids edition, but I don't think I was that excited about it because I already had the. I remember, yeah. like we, my grandparents lived like one town over, and we would go to the library over there because my town was too small to have a library, and um, you could check out issues of Sports Illustrated there. So I would like check out like multiple issues of Sports Illustrated, and then after a while they like stopped letting me do that because I was like this kid, and I would like turn them, I would bring them back, and they'd be all like wrinkled and banged mm-hmm. up or whatever because I would just read the crap out of them. And um, so yeah, so like I was I was hooked pretty early on doing something like well, this. Well, there was uh, there the, the thing that I liked about SI for Kids is they had the I don't know if you guys remember they had like these trading cards at like the back of them. And you can yeah, like cut very them. valuable now. Yeah, I yeah, saw that. Are. Yeah, so I gotta go like if, check yeah. my parents' if basement got, or something. Yeah, I think like uh, the, the, if you've got any of those old magazines yep. that have been kept in good shape, the I think in particular there's a there's a Jordan card in one of them. There's a mm-hmm. Tiger Woods card in one of them. If you get them like professionally cut out, um, or maybe just leave them in the in the intact would be even better. Like there's some there's some legitimate value there. Yeah, the pandemic's like rebirthed the card game yeah. here for people, and there's people in our own beat who, who partake in that. Mine is is pretty simple as well. I, I know I wanted to be a journalist basically since middle school when people were telling me I was a good writer, and I used to watch. This was back when Stephen A. Smith was more than just a talking head at that time, when he was really deep into the trenches, and people actually just called me Stephen A. A. Means as a joke because we have the same name, the same spelling, and whatnot. But I just remember as a kid seeing him when he had the show. Quite frankly. And feeling like I want to do that. I just want to do what Stephen A. Smith is doing. And as I got older, I kind of stick stuck with that. I like Nathan. I read a lot of magazines. Um, mine wasn't necessarily Sports Illustrated. I usually read Slam magazine all the time, the basketball magazine all the time, like to the point where I had a subscription. Like I've still got a lot of those magazines in my house right now. They're like there's just decoration at this point. But I, I I go back and read them every so often. And then I played basketball in college my freshman year at a Division three school in Southern uh, Ohio. And then, like, you realize, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to move on with my life and do what I'm actually going to do because I'm playing a Division three school, dude. I'm not going to the NBA. So I moved on with my life. I ended up transferring to Kent for my sophomore year where I spent the rest of my time there. And I worked my way up. I was a sports editor for, I think, three semesters while I was there. And uh, I worked at the Beacon Journal out of high school. Well, excuse me, not out of high school, when I graduated from college. And then I got this job. And I've been here ever since. But, yeah, I, I've – I don't know if I was as outward with my I wanted to be a sports writer, but I did like subconsciously I was constantly putting things out into the atmosphere that this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be something like what Stephen A. Smith was doing. And here I am now talking for a living on a podcast. So, you know, some things do come true if you just speak them out loud. This is for me and Andrew, unless Nathan, you want, you can chime in if you want to chime in. I don't know what your video game habits are in t- today's world, but from the 330 when is college football's video game when college football's video game returns this summer, how many Ohio State players will be rated above 90? 90 is really good. Like super good. I'm not I'm not talking to us. I'm talking to people who don't necessarily play video games, sports video games. If you're 90 or above, you're probably a dude. So, Andrew, of the 85 scholarship players, if you had to say on Ohio State's roster right now, who do you think will be a 90 or above when that game comes out this summer? Yeah, I just want to shout out the person who asked this question for asking the best question that we've ever gotten on a rapid fire. Um, so shout out. This is the most important thing we've ever yeah, talked about. Shout out the person from the 330, whoever you are. Uh, you did God's work with this one. 
Uh, I have a couple of players on this list. Uh, I was very excited to do this. Uh, I think both running backs, Trevon Henderson and Quinchon Judkins, are going to be 90s. Uh, Emeka Ibuka is going to be 90 overall. Uh, Donovan Jackson, I think they're going to have him up there as a 90 overall. Uh, Jack Sawyer, JT Tumaloao, both defensive ends. Cornerback Denzel Burke. I thought about Igbenosin. Igbenosin kind of feels like one of those like 87 through 89 type of guys. Uh, yeah. And then Lathan Ransom. Um, so that is eight. I think Ohio State's going to have eight players ranked in the 90s. Uh, I There were guys that I thought about. Um, Will Howard. I wasn't ready to put a 90 on Will Howard. A 90, you got to earn a 90. And Will Howard, all due respect, I got to see it. I got to see it. Uh, so Will Howard, I didn't do... Um, I mentioned Igbenosin that I thought of. Thought about Tyleek Williams, but that just kind of strikes me as a guy who maybe isn't going to get the credit that he deserves. Um, you know, he probably played at a 90 level if we're doing this on a video game level, but uh, he kind of strikes me as a guy who's, again, kind of in the Igbenosin upper 80s level. Um, none of the other offensive linemen. You got youth at receiver. That's not going to happen. You got youth at tight end. That's not going to happen. So I think we're at eight, eight ninety overall players. I think it's going to depend on how like serious they are about handing out those nineties. Like, are they going to be really, cause what you don't want to have is like 3000 players in the game who are rated right. as a 90. Cause then it's, you know, it's not as exclusive, of but I do th- comfortably. I would say a Mecca JT Tuimaloao. And. I think I'm going to throw Tyleek Williams and Denzel Burke in that. I think anybody who made an All-American list, whether it was first or second team this past year, I think the video game people might see that and go, okay, that's probably a 90-level player. I think the highest quarterback might be like 83 to start the year just because you don't want to go too out there with it. Right. But I think those three for sure, and then Travion Henderson and Quinshawn Jugdens as well, I think they'll be 90s as well. This is just a way for us, Nathan. I mean, you can get like you've played video games before, so chime in. Who do you think will be a 90 when that game comes out? You're muted. You're muted. I, I have played those games, but it's been uh, back when I was getting those first bylines um, since I played them. Uh, <laughs> at least they were like like maybe some college era stuff. Um, I, I, I think you guys have named all the ones that I thought were contenders. I, I think I, I'd be interested to see who they rank higher, who they grade higher between Sawyer and Tuimaloao. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it probably, if you're talking about like all around stuff, it probably should be Tuimaloao. Yeah. But will Sawyer have some higher grades in certain things? That'll be an interesting thing mm-hmm. to look at. We'll definitely have to do a post when that game comes out and say like, hey, here's where Ohio State's guys are, are graded. That post will do well, I believe, on our site. Oh, I think people buddy. are interested in, in that sort of thing. We might just and, have a tracking thing on the pod yeah. of like, hey, I'm in week four. As a matter of fact, you know, no, no, no. I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm going to do that next year. It's going to be part of our game predictions every single single week. I'm going to play out the Ooh. game. because we've, Nathan, we've done this before. Yes. We, uh, for the spring game, I think in 2021, because I have NCAA 14 still, and I've I been holding too. on to it and keeping it tight. And I play it all. It's the only reason I still have this Xbox yep. 360 in yep. my house. <laughs> and we played it out, the spring game. We both we picked teams on the pod, which we do every single year. We'll do it this year as well. And then we played it out. My, I think – I can't remember which one of us had Jack Miller and which one of us had CJ Stroud. But it. I think – I just know Nathan won, and it was a little frustrating that he won. And we, like, updated people. So I think I'm going to do that this year. I'm going to play idea. it out and say this is my prediction – 
here's Nathan's prediction, here's Andrew's prediction, and here's NCAA or whatever they call the game, 25's prediction well, that's, on who's going to win this week, Ohio State versus whoever they play that week. It's more than just that. When we do our season prediction, we just sim oh. the season. And you say, here's who NCAA You're gonna says. You're going to make me gonna... emotional. Yeah. You're going to make me emotional Dude, on this, this pod, oh, Andrew. I'm so excited. You're going to make me emotional. I'm so flipping excited about this game, man. Like, so d- this is just, emotional. you know, I'm putting this on the radar of everybody that's listening to this podcast and also for Nathan and our bosses. Um, if we sound tired, like the second or third week of July, it's because <laughs> the Hawaii Warriors have won back-to-back national championships in, on, in my dynasty mode. And I am revving that. No, up. that's real. Yeah, that's real. You can't like if, if you're gonna if start a dynasty, you can't go to the top tier Ohio teams. State from the bottom yeah. and grind. Yep, you're not ready Working for that FIU lifestyle. That was yeah, always man. my favorite part of that game. Yeah, of those games was taking a a nothing program and making them Alabama national championship yeah. caliber like that. <laughs> like to yeah, no man. offense to the fan, but like to just take Ohio State. Oh, you went. You went fourteen and zero with Ohio State. Sick. So does Ohio State sometimes. <laughs> like what, what? That just happens sometimes. Like, uh, <laughs> so maybe wouldn't it be funner if you did it with Ohio? Yeah. Wouldn't it be funner well, if you well, did yes, it with? Yes, it would uh, be. I, I'm going to do that, Nathan Baird. That is yeah. exactly who I will be starting my know, dynasty. You with. need to know the pain of what it feels like to know that that's the number seventy six player in the country, and you have zero chance of getting him, and you worked your butt off for six hours recruiting this guy. Just to make it happen, and then the tears that come into your eyes because and of that. start from the bottom and go your way does, up. It also does look very funny when you are like starting your your team, and it's like I'm trying to think who you're. You know, you're the Colorado State Rams, and all of a sudden you're you're at that level where you're like, I think I can, I think I can start recruiting this five star guy, and you go after the five star quarterback no. from California, <laughs> and you see like USC, Ohio State, Alabama, Notre Dame. And then Colorado State, like the Ram logo is up yep. there. Like, that's great. That's just, oh, yeah. So that game is going to be so great. It is like, I know there are a lot of people worried about it. Like, it is coming out this summer. Like, there was a lot of people that thought we were going to get like, a commercial or a teaser or something like that during the national championship game. That obviously did not happen. Um, but the like, the, there was a report earlier this week, too, that July 12th, I think, Stephen, was the day. You tweeted about it, and then I. I need to see a trailer you. and a date, okay? I, I need to see a trailer and a date. Thing. Here's the, here's the thing: people on that. X are playing with my emotions. Like the EA, like VP of something, came out and said, "Like we've never said this. This isn't a day. Like we haven't confirmed this. Uh, by the way, like you know, we've said this summer, but we haven't put a. Di- we haven't set a date yet. They haven't set a wedding date yet. Um, but this is just the way sports video games work." Like, there's a reason why you don't know anything about Madden 25 right now or like NHL 25 right now. This is just the way that they work. You know, you're not going to we're not going to know anything until like March, maybe like March or April. We're not going to know anything about the game. And we'll probably get a couple sprinkles of, hey, they added this or like you can, you know, you'll see the the O, you know, they'll have the OHIO band, you know, the, the band will come out and dot the I. And they'll, they'll, they'll give you like little tidbits, but you're not going to get like a trailer until like April. So let's breathe. And uh, very excited. Very excited. You can't tell people to breathe and then almost lose your breath there. But last question. I know. From the 423. Now that the season is over, what is Buckeye Talk going to look like? And we're working through that right now. I, there's some things that we want to try to do 
this time around that maybe we weren't doing in the past. We want to try to have guys on both recruits and maybe players at times. There are some staples that we've done in the past that we'll probably continue to do things like, you know, the retalkables pods and butterfly afflict and all that stuff. But there's also some interesting things that we want to try as well, because obviously it looks different. And thank you guys who have all stuck with us through these last six months as we've made this transition and gotten through our first year. And we're going to continue to you know try new things and, and it's going to look different. But you're still going to love it. I promise you, you're still going to love it. So continue to stick with us. Get the text 614-350-3315. Two-week free trial, $399. After that, for Nathan Baird and for Andrew Gillis, I'm Stephen Means. And that was Buckeye Talk.